Medical marijuana, certainly it is a topic that gets a great deal of attention. What are the pros, what are the cons, and what sort of research is being done? Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest today is from the Institute of Emerging Health Professions at Thomas Jefferson University and the Center for Medical Cannabis Education and Research. We're going to be talking with Dr. Charles Pollack. He is going to talk about the scientific basis of research, what sort of research therapies there are. And uh, first of all, Dr. Pollock, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Brian. My first question for you, um, it's an interesting field. It certainly gets a great deal of attention. Is this something you've been interested in for a while, or is it just something that other work has led you to? Uh, The latter. I I have uh, done work in uh, analgesia. Uh, I'm an emergency physician, and I'm particularly interested in the management of acute pain and in acute exacerbations of chronic pain. And so I'd given some thought to the potential uh, ancillary role of medical cannabis in that indication, but I really hadn't put that much thought into it until I uh, uh, started in anticipation of the legalization effort in Pennsylvania reaching fruition, uh, looking into uh, the the area as a topic for professional education, uh, and also to look at, uh, in a critical way, the research underpinning the use of this substance, which uh, in, in some instances, as you know, is, is uh, it's pretty weak. Tell me a little bit what has been shown to be an effective use. What, what ways are out there where there are studies to support it? Well, I, I think we have to to uh, <laughs> to define what we mean by effective and and evidence. Uh, as as you know, Brian, marijuana is not even considered a drug by the FDA and the DEA. It's it's classed as a class one substance, which has really severely limited the amount and the quality of the research that can be done with it. Uh, so that there's really nothing that would correlate to the type of drug development we see with a regulated pharmaceutical with, uh, you know, a phase one, two, three approach and, and uh, specific power calculations looking at granular outcomes. What you've got with medical cannabis is uh, a few areas in which there are good studies, for example, treating intractable nausea associated with chemotherapy, uh, treating um, wasting syndrome in patients with HIV, advanced HIV, and other uh, uh, malignant syndromes. Uh, there is some reasonable data for intractable seizures, particularly in the pediatric population. But much of what else is out there, and for example, in Pennsylvania, there are 17 so-called qualifying conditions for which physicians can recommend medical cannabis once the the law is implemented. Uh, Other states use other qualifying conditions. Remember, we can't call them indications because we're not prescribing medical cannabis. We're only recommending it. Um, For many of those, there's really a dearth of data and uh, often a disproportionate amount of hype uh, and advocacy around it. Uh, there's some particularly vexing problems like uh, multiple sclerosis, particularly post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a lot of uh, talk about using uh, cannabis to help remedy opiate addiction. Uh, these are areas in which our traditional pharmacotherapy is, has been pretty limited, uh, and so people are eager to find something that is helpful and that has a good therapeutic index that is uh, you know, not much in the way of, of safety concerns. And, and medical cannabis probably does meet that criterion, but from an efficacy standpoint, it's really lacking a lot of areas. And I think uh, one of the things that we're, we're trying to do with the Center for Medical Cannabis Education Research is to identify the specific questions that need to be answered 
for each of these qualifying conditions uh, so that we can find out whether or not it really does work uh, with, with a more scientific approach. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest is Dr. Charles Pollock. Dr. Pollock is doing research, among other things, with uh, medical uses of marijuana, and he is part of uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, University. I think it's an exciting, innovative uh, program that you have looking at these changes in health care. It's clear from listening to you, you're not someone who is a you know, a, a huge marijuana proponent from way back, and you're out to prove that it's going to change the world. You're, you're really looking at this, and, it, and it's refreshing to see scientifically saying, what's the evidence, what will the evidence be, and can we support good and bad? And I, I honestly, that's probably the best way to, to affect research, right? You're curious, and you're, you're looking at different, different ideas. Well, I think so, and, and I think that's the sort of thinking that uh, that leads to good uh, drug development, drug discovery in a more conventional pharma, pharmacologic sense. I would love to think that uh, under a little higher scientific scrutiny, some of these uses of medical cannabis will actually pan out to be very effective. Uh, but I, I think that we have to uh, to take a step back and, and critically evaluate the literature behind each of these qualifying conditions or indications and, and see what's really there and determine where we need to go next. We, uh, in the center you've mentioned a couple of times, which is the, the first time a, a health sciences university in the U.S. has sort of stepped out into this space. It's, a, it, it's an unforgiving space in that because marijuana is a class one substance, there's a threat of sanctions and funding loss if, uh, if universities are involved in research that's not authorized. We're not actually doing the research at this point, but we have assembled what's basically a who's who of medical cannabis around the world, 15 clinicians and scientists who have come together as the steering committee for this, this center that we formed at Jefferson. And one of our first tasks on the steering committee is to, uh, for the first time, promulgate a, a specific uh, granular prioritized research agenda uh, for medical cannabis, many of the studies of which in the current circumstances will probably be best done outside the U.S., but for each one of those disease states or qualifying conditions, what our group will decide by consensus is what are the next two or three questions that need to be answered and what should the study that answers those questions look like? Because one of the, the things that's held us back, I think, in terms of medical cannabis research, and of course a big part of that is the, the very strict regulations placed on, on any sort of research involving the substance within the U.S., is that we've got a lot of uh, case series, a lot of uncontrolled studies, a lot of uh, studies that, you know, under uh, under scientific scrutiny would wither in terms of, of sound methodology. And yet there's all this interest. And so our hope is that by putting this research agenda out there and giving some guidance to the people who want to work in this area, we can get uh, more actionable answers more quickly. It was interesting. About a year ago, I had an opportunity to MC uh, an event uh, for men's health at Jefferson and got to meet your your CEO, uh, Stephen Clasco. And Dr. Clasco is very interesting. I'm not surprised that he uh, supported something like this because he does seem a little revolutionary in his approach and, and, and wants to undertake challenges and, and I, I think maybe think a little bit out of the box. Yeah, he really is, and, and uh, credit where credit is due. As I mentioned, uh, no other health sciences university in the U.S. Has, has stepped into this space, and I got interested in what we could do through the Institute of Emerging Health Professions. I think medical cannabis clearly qualifies as, as an emerging area of healthcare over the next few years. And I was uh, thinking about educational offerings we could develop, 
uh, I was thinking about, again, this, uh, setting this research agenda and trying to get uh, investigators around the world sort of invested in, in approaching this in the same fashion. And all of a sudden it occurred to me that uh, I should probably check with the boss and make sure he's okay with, with Jefferson's name being associated with this. You know, there's a reason why other medical schools haven't done this. As you've gleaned from, from working with, with Steve Clasco, he embraced the challenge. Uh, he uh, is a true believer in Jefferson being a leader in innovation. And, you know, we've been a, a very uh, traditional medical school and, and nursing school and pharmacy school environment for, for many, many years, 194 years as a medical school. And I think it's probably unexpected that a school with that much tradition would step out into such an innovative and non-traditional space like this. And I think he, he relishes the fact that we're the ones who did it. And I'm very excited to, to have the opportunity to lead the effort. You may have an answer to this question. You may not. But I want to ask because it's it's something I'm curious about. Asked about it a lot. And, and you know, we have a physician audience, so I'm sure they may have the same question. Every now and then, I'll get a young adult who will say, we know that alcohol and alcohol abuse can have a negative effect on the body. And we, we pretty much know the same thing for marijuana. Marijuana, of course, depending on where you are, is legal or not legal. But the question is, which does more damage? I mean, would this country be better off if people were smoking marijuana instead of drinking alcohol? Should we be doing neither? You know, from your standpoint, long-term, short-term health effects, do we know that? And what, what's, what's your take on it? Well, we know a lot more about the long-term effects of, of chronic alcohol use than we do about marijuana use. Uh, it, you know, the, the, one of the issues with marijuana is that the, um, the, the method of entry is important. Uh, smoking it is probably the uh, most harmful and medically least effective way to, to get the benefits uh, of marijuana, whatever those benefits are for a specific disease state. In Pennsylvania, for example, there will be no smokable medical marijuana. It'll be edibles and, and oils and tinctures. Uh, and a lot of people in this field think that that's probably the most effective way to deliver the the active components of marijuana. Uh, like alcohol, though, where clearly in our practices we see some patients who are more susceptible to addiction, uh, more susceptible to uh, uh, liver damage and pancreas damage than others, uh, probably the same thing is true for marijuana. Uh, there are at least 60 pharmacologically active substances uh, within marijuana, uh, but the two primary ones are uh, THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, and cannabidiol. And uh, cannabidiol is, is not psychoactive and probably has some anti-anxiety and antipsychotic effects, whereas THC can produce a temporary euphoria but can also lead to a frank psychosis. So uh, what, what's going to determine the balance? Well, of course, some strains of marijuana uh, from a botanical standpoint, have higher relative ratios of THC and and, uh, and cannabidiol. But there's also clearly, uh, because we know there are endocannabinoid receptors, you know, endemic uh, 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 receptors that respond to marijuana in the body, uh, there's individual variation in the response. And so it's hard to make a blanket statement about marijuana just as it's hard to make a blanket statement about uh, alcohol. They both do impair cognition to some extent, and so probably neither are safe to use and then go driving. Uh, but in terms of, of medical management, you know, we don't really have much in the way of, of therapeutic use for alcohol, and there may well be some, some interesting and helpful therapeutic uses for marijuana. What do you see as, in your eyes, the top three potential uses going down the road or things you'd like to look at that might have potential for medical marijuana? Well, I, I think that uh, uh, clearly one of the 
the most hopeful areas, uh, and we see a lot of this, uh, for example, in the, in the veteran population, is relief of post-traumatic stress disorder, which, uh, Brian, you and I know has been around for a long time, but it's only more recently become recognized as a real syndrome, and, and the attempts to, uh, to manage it have met with varying success. And unfortunately, many of the things we use, like uh, short-acting benzodiazepines, uh, do have some, some adverse effects that can be quite disabling. So I think that from a uh, um, from a PTSD management standpoint, that's a that's a, an important uh, use that we'd like to establish uh, uh, protocols for for marijuana that might give some some benefit. Secondly, you know we we can't look at the lay press without seeing the alarms go up about the so-called opioid epidemic. I'm an emergency physician, so I'm on the front line seeing that all the time. Uh, and for patients with chronic pain who have become opioid dependent. Uh, it's it's thought that uh, medical cannabis might be opioid sparing, probably not opioid replacing, but it might lead to a safer level of opioid use. Uh, and so I think that certainly bears early exploration. The third thing that's uh, that, that's quite interesting is the potential use of medical cannabis in opioid addiction, uh, potentially as a replacement for, for example, methadone programs. Where you're you're taking uh, a, a substance that's hazardous, you know, methadone is safer than heroin, but it's still not a very safe substance, and potentially replacing it with something safer. Uh, I think those are probably the top three, but just under that, uh, Crohn's and inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, I think uh, another potential uh, use of, of medical cannabis that should be investigated because it may be particularly helpful. Uh, other chronic pain syndromes, chronic neuropathic pain. There's there's a lot out there. And it really makes you wonder if it's possible that any one substance could really have this many, uh, you know, pleomorphic effects. But uh, th- there's enough uh, interest out there that I think a number of these potential uses will be pursued, and we'll see how they stand up uh, in, in light of some, some good, rigorous scientific study. Talking with Dr. Charles Pollock, only about a minute left. Is there something I didn't ask you? I mean, something you really wanted to bring up that you think is important when we're talking about this? I think it's important... Uh, and, and, and I'm sure you have listeners from all over the country, 24 states uh, have legalized medical cannabis now, plus the District of Columbia. Uh, recreational cannabis is available in three states so far, and, and that number will grow. I think a big issue, particularly for primary care providers, uh, is to manage expectations. There's so much hype about medical cannabis out there, and there's so many people who have been uh, searching for better treatment, who have failed conventional approaches, whether it's for chronic pain or intractable nausea or disabling migraines or, or uh, bad spasm after a spinal cord injury. I mean, this is, again, such a, such a broad range of potential effects that when people finally are able to get their hands on it, they expect a miracle. And that you know, often doesn't happen in, in, in medicine, whether it's with a, a conventional pharmaceutical or something like this. And so I think it's very important that physicians who are able to recommend, we can't prescribe, but who are able to recommend medical cannabis under a state-sponsored program, that the patients get the appropriate expectation management so that they're not too disappointed if things don't go as well as as they want them to, that their patient and maybe a a different strain or a different concentration needs to be attempted. Uh, I, I think there's so much hype and excitement about this out there that people may have unrealistic expectations, and it's important that we manage this. Dr. Charles Pollack is the leader of the Center for Medical Cannabis Education and Research. Dr. Pollack, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Primary Care Today.
My pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com slash Primary Care Today. You can download the podcast and learn more on the series. And thank you for listening.